We're live, everybody. Welcome in. It is Tuesday, June 20th. I'm so happy to have you guys here with us today. Ha have y'all. My God, I got, I'm from Texas, Emmett. I've been living here for almost three years, and I still can't <laughs> say y'all every time. What is wrong with me? Uh, I'm joined with Emmett Peppers. Uh, he's the founder of Good Soil Investment Firm. Uh, he, uh, he's been on YouTube for a little while. I, those that follow the Tesla uh, stock and the Tesla story, uh, should be quite familiar with Emmett, but if you're not, do make sure you go check out uh, his channel, Good Soil, uh, on YouTube, and then he, you can also f uh, find him on Twitter as well. We'll make sure the mods post those links in the comment section below. And just a heads up, producer wife has a day off today. She's quite busy doing her own thing. So it's just going to be Emmett and I, and hopefully I don't completely ruin the experience. So Emmett, how you doing, man? Long time no see. How you been, brother? I'm doing well, Farzad. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible to see... Uh your growth in this uh initiative you took what was it like almost two years ago when you started this youtube yeah. channel now something like that yeah something. yeah you come a long way and fast you know it's really nice to see your success and you know you've been you you have the qualifications that not many other youtubers that you've been that, that you worked at Tesla. not only have you been invested for 10 around 10 years but you also worked at tesla so you're very familiar with the culture and you live close to the headquarters and you have this youtube and you just have a it's really incredible to see the the, the growth you've had and, and uh i applaud you i think the more people we have like you out there the more you know uh, spreading content and you know uh, about tesla the better for the community and just for the world really Thank you, man. That's that's super kind of you to say. Uh, thank you. I mean, likewise for you. You've been following the story for so long. You know, back from Tesla Motors Club's days, and the incredible you know value that you bring to to the community, to the investing community, not just for Tesla, but you know broadly. So I really appreciate yeah. those kinds words and uh, kind words, and right back at you for sure. But I really do want to highlight just how terrible Matt is. You know, he quit <laughs> Good Soil and he's terrible. Yeah. So tell me, how how uh, how uh, happy are you that now that liability is gone from your company? Please tell us exactly how you feel and how much you hate Matt, please. <laughs> no, in all honesty, I, I really miss him. Uh, I think uh, he was a great asset to bounce ideas off of or just get his input on things. He really helped with a lot of... Uh, I mean, we had their Good Soil YouTube channel, which I'm still continuing with some interviews, but actually I'm putting it all on Twitter now pretty much. And I don't know if I have the, uh, I'm not very technical with technology. So even editing YouTube videos to add a disclaimer at the beginning is like trivial. It's difficult for me. It's, I'm just, you know, I, I, I learned how to use my Tesla products, but that's about as, fa as far advanced as I get. Um, so, you know, Matt, he's missed greatly, not just on the media part, but also we did a weekly live stream that was great, but also uh, with the fund that we manage kind of uh, in the background, there's a lot of help he, he did there, but I'm managing that, um, no problem. And uh, yeah, I, I still touch base with him from time to time. I'm, I wish him nothing but the best with Bradford Ferguson and that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate, you know, being part of the, uh, witnessing Tesla's, you know, crazy growth these last you know 13 years in the last five years especially or three or four or five years especially wow. with the media and the youtube channels from steve mark ryan rob mauer now you you know like you're like the up and coming youtube channel content creator for tesla you know you're like the uh if, if I could buy, I always tell people if I could buy call options and, and something like, like you, I would buy call options in your channel. Oh. <laughs> I think it would be worth a lot later, you know, but uh, th there's going to be more people that come about too. I mean, there's, there's so many YouTube channels around Tesla. I can't even keep up with it all. So it's kind of crazy, yeah. but 
it's great. And um, my I played a small role in, with Dave Lee. Dave Lee's huge and he does great things. But I was like, he does. I played a small role, if people don't know, with him bringing me, my story on board about successfully investing in Tesla over many years. And I've known Dave Lee for 10 plus years as well, investing from the Motor, Tesla Motor Clubs forums days. And, you know, I guess me bringing my adventure with options trading, especially the real-time options trading thing I did with S&P 500 trade, I think that gathered a lot of attention into Tesla. Um, it kind of accelerated uh, a lot of investors' attention into Tesla, the story of Tesla. Yeah. And, and I think I played a little role in help, helping that, but that was my contribution. I don't really have much to contribute anymore. There's people that are way more knowledgeable. I'm more of a generalist on all things. I'm a generalist on like a lot of things with Tesla, but I'm not a specialist in any one thing Tesla related, I would say. So that's my, if I have any skill, it's just trying to apply all the generalist stuff from all the aspects of Tesla into making a big picture prediction or point of view yeah i think i think you do more than that i mean i i really enjoy how <clears throat> how unbiased and even keel your conversations are on your channel i think i think your interviews are super underrated because you bring in these super knowledgeable people that very few people have have heard of and then you have very deep conversations about certain topics and i think i think that's underrated it's just you 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 and your and the way you've built your uh channel and the people you've worked with to me is like a, a gold standard uh, amongst a few that it that I can go be like, okay, Emmett's not, you know, he he's very transparent about what he's invested in, but he's always going to view the th everything super even keel and try to be try to play like try to understand both sides. And like the advertising conversation was a perfect one because you were one of the one of the few voices, you know, like I was on the camp of, you know, let let Tesla not advertise. It kind of adds to. I thought the prestige of the company and it's, you know, the fact that they can sell this many cars without having to advertise it seemed like a very strong thing. And then, of course, Tesla agreed to advertise. And then you were like, yeah, yeah, I've been seeing you, you didn't say this outwardly, but, you know, yeah. you had been calling for Tesla to advertise. So I think I, I wouldn't underrate your your capabilities, man. I think you do a lot more than you think. Seriously. Yeah, thanks. I just try to bring yeah. different points of view. I try to look at things from many different perspectives. And I feel like if there's a perspective missing I want to push that if I think it's valid, I want to push that perspective yeah. so people consider it as well, you know. So Yeah. And that's how yeah. you get to the bottom of stuff, right? It's it's I mean, yeah. we've seen it on Twitter every single day. My God, it's like yeah. tribalism <laughs> to hardcore. And you know, maybe later in the interview we'll touch some of that stuff because it's it's just been fascinating to follow. But um yeah. the, the the first thing I want to hit uh, is really the what broke this morning. And let me go ahead and mm -hmm. share my screen. So, uh, oh, by the way, Tesla's up like 10 yeah. bucks today, right? It's a nice day to do this interview yeah. with Tesla up to 270, man. Hopefully we don't ruin it. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know how sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll go live and then the stock like takes a nosedive. I'm like, yep, yeah, that was my fault. This so is a good day when the Nasdaq's down and the Tesla's up. That's a really yeah. good day. Yeah. Big time. So the Dow, uh, so S&P is down about 0.4%. Dow is down about 0.6%. Nasdaq's down about 0.2%. And then Tesla is up. Uh, 3.73% on the day. Uh, now, so one of the news that broke, one of the pieces of news that broke uh, this morning was that Rivian, uh, they made an announcement. Let me go ahead and share uh, that screen. Again, I don't have producer wife today, so you can see how sloppy I am. My God, oh, how okay. dare she leave me on my own. Uh, Rivian, today we signed an agreement with Tesla to adopt the North American charging standard. This opens charging for Rivian vehicles on Tesla supercharger network across the United States and Canada. Access starts as soon as spring 2024, and I'm assuming this is a very similar setup 
to what they have with Ford and GM with the adapters. And then uh, Reagan should come out with a NACS plug on their car starting in 2025 or later. So your reaction on these news, what's going through your mind? No, I think it's expected ever since the Ford announcement and then GM right after that, it just seemed all the other dominoes are going to fall now too. And, uh, have some kind of alliance with the Tesla supercharger network. Um, if you don't, you're at a big disadvantage. And in Rivian's case, I think that really helps bolster. I was a big bear on the valuation. I still am a bear on the valuation of Rivian, but I thought that they had a very high chance of going bankrupt or being bought for pennies on the dollar. I still think they have a very high chance, but I don't think it's as high now. You know, So I still think in the long run, Rivian's valuation is ridiculous and it's going to go down dramatically. And they're not going to be able to raise capital at a favorable price. They're burning capital like crazy. Great product, right? But it's like the story that, you know, all the Tesla bulls were telling us about Tesla. Great product, but the valuation is crazy and they're never going to be profitable. But the story actually seems to be true for Lucid and Rivian, although Lucid's product I've heard controversial takes on. Um, so I don't know, maybe if their chance of going bankrupt or being bought for pennies on the dollar by Amazon was, you know, 75% chance in my mind before, maybe it's like 65% chance now. So it's a step in the right direction mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. Um, for them to have this uh, supercharger network they'll be able to rely on that's not their own. They have to try to build out. You know, they still have to build out like a global or North American service network instead of having these like rangers, like a team. Like you ever see their picture of like their service team? It's like 30 yeah, yeah. people. And then we yeah. backpack and you're ready to like fly at a moment's notice on like a private helicopter to some Rivian location or something. I love it. They need to like do so much just to be able to service their cars nationally. It's just, they're so far away still. Maybe they can make a deal with Tesla's service network and like have Tesla service is <laughs> like centers service Rivians too or something. That would be huge for them if they want to survive, but they have a long way to go, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I view it very similarly. I think I do think Rivian, you know, if, if I'm going to think about their long term prospects, it does seem like so when I talk to people that are and I've been doing this a lot lately and I put up a video yesterday, I, I did a drive along with my neighbor and well, ex neighbor. They moved a little bit farther away, but really good friend of mine when we moved to Texas, you know, he's born and bred Texan, worked in the oil field for a decade, has a Ford F-250. You know, he's he's you know, he loves his diesel truck. So but he's he's not anything he knows about EVs is through me. And mm -hmm. the one thing that I'm a trend that I've noticed here in Texas, at least, is that people know what a Rivian is, just like a Tesla, like the mm -hmm. the name is um it's out there in the ether and when people talk about it casually they usually have nice things to say about it yeah. like oh that truck looks sick that suv looks sick um and you know i've seen it in person i haven't driven one yet but it looks like the product is is a good product it's a good yeah. product and if you compare their say their ba cash balance or their uh, the balance sheet to say a lucid rivian appears to be light years ahead of where a lucid is today and they have the backing of an Amazon. And I feel like with a decision like today with the supercharger network, I'm wondering if that, uh, like in my head, from a from a chance of survival in the long-term percentage, it seems like they have the right decision-making in place to really look out for the customer and they have the backing to make the business work. And now the, value, the valuation is a different question, right? Like, is it a $10 billion yeah. company? Is it a $5 billion company? Is it a $500 billion company? I don't, yeah. I don't know what that is, but it seems like they are it seems like they are, um, I guess, positioning themselves to be around long term. Do you do you think that's the case with that specific name or? Yeah, yeah they're trying. Um, they're making the moves on paper, at least. Um, it just can they can they manufacture them on a globe on a mass scale efficiently? That's the trip. That's the that's the multi-billion dollar question for them. Yeah. You know, can they can they mass produce them profitably? You know, and they're not. 
and it's a great product, but that doesn't mean they can ever prof profitably produce them and sell them at a hundred thousand dollars a piece even, you know? So, yeah. um, that's the, you know, to get there, you need CEOs sleeping on floors and stuff. You know, I don't think RJ is going to be doing that type of, you know, work ethic and, um, but maybe they can hire enough ex Tesla people that have done it that can just basically copy what Tesla has done with the production line easily, more easily and see flaws and things and fix things quickly because Tesla's already innovated that. So maybe they can get enough ex Tesla, you know, production people to kind of um, just mimic as much as they can to be somewhat profitable. That's their hope. That's the hope. I, but I don't think it comes from the top at Rivian. They need to hire people from the outs, you know, people, ex Tesla people, I think, to, or, or maybe, maybe Chinese battery EV makers, you know, that have the know-how to make EVs profitably in China can help Rivian build them profitably. But I don't think any U S producer of EVs is going to be profitable doing it unless they have enough ex Tesla people working there. That's, that's a, that's a fair comment real quick. I want to highlight this awful comment from Matt Smith, Matt, Farza would be nothing without me. Keep telling yourself that buddy. Keep telling yourself that. All right. Uh, <laughs> freaking Matt. By the way, for those that are not aware, because I sometimes do get DMs uh, that people are like, "Why are you so mean to Matt?" This is all in good fun. We we yeah. happen to be a we have happened to uh, uh, really forge a really great friendship, uh, and uh, I don't know why because he's a terrible person. So I guess I just feel bad for him. So uh, how do we know anyway. that's the real Matt Smith though? There's probably a million people named Matt Smith. You know what? Know You're right. There's not even a profile oh picture God. on that one. It's not like you know. <laughs> We have the most opportunity. So I have that's the most unique true. name, and he's got the most common name. How do we know that's the Matt Smith we know? I know that's a bunch true. Of we really talks, which really talks about how insignificant he is as a person. Anybody <laughs> can replicate Matt, you know. Anyway, he just can blend in, stop. you know. He just yeah, blends in. Just blend in. <laughs> but I think that the that's an interesting comment you made, and and so what. The, the road to profitability and having positive cash flows, which really fund the company, in, in this case, Rivian long term. I wonder if maybe we're moving towards a situation where it's going to be acceptable for a car company to perhaps maybe reach just break even or maybe slightly under. Maybe they have a negative cash flow that, I don't know, maybe like let's say Rivian reaches uh, in, in five years time. Instead of negative, whatever, 50% margin or 40% margin they're at now, they're at negative 2% margin or 3% margin yeah. with the understanding that, hey, as self-driving tech comes down the pike and it starts being implemented, we're going to make that up in the back end. So it'll be okay for us to operate at a loss for the foreseeable future as long as we can raise some money with the understanding that at some point we're going to adopt self-driving technology, which is actually going to make the company profitable. Do you see that being a dynamic for uh, like a new automaker like Rivian and, and moving forward? Or do you think like I would love to hear your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I don't know how that fits in for Rivian. I mean, I think Tesla, you and I and most people who follow you agree that Tesla is going to get there first above Mobileye or Commodore AI or GM Super Cruise or Waymo, that Tesla is going to have a generalized full self-driving platform that's, you know, being applied on a massive scale as opposed to like one unique city at a time or something geofenced, you know? So I think um, once Tesla gets there, it's going to be very difficult. It, it's not going to be like a flip of a switch for Rivian to use that same or license that technology, even if Tesla's offering to license it. You know, it's, it's going to be a process and it's not just going to be Rivian. It would be everyone trying to do it at the same time. And who's to say Rivian would get preferential treatment to, you know, with Tesla engineers to implement it first on their, 
you know, hosts EVs versus Ford. It seems like Ford has a pretty strong alliance with Tesla, with Elon at this point. It seems like, you know, they were the first movers on the, so I would see Ford EVs almost being like the first to successfully license Tesla's uh, technology going forward, just because of this first mover they did with Elon on the supercharging. I just feel like Elon and Farley have a good relationship maybe. So um, I, I don't know if that's enough for Rivian to justify the valuation it has. Um, I just don't think so. I think once the Cybertruck comes out and once there's more F-150 Lightnings out there too, the demand for the Rivian, I don't know if it's going to be so high. Like I, it might stay where it is, which is fine. Like in where I live in the Bay Area of California, I see them all over the place. Um, and but 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 for the demand to actually grow from where it is now, like while the Cybertruck and the F-150 starts ramping up, like that's going to be very difficult for them. Like they were the first mover in the electric pickup truck. That was a good product that they can put out more. Like Ford did like a hundred a month for a while or something. That's insignificant. It's really just selling prototypes, but Rivian's trying to sell like a few thousand a month, you know, or whatever. And, you know, I just don't know if the demand for the Rivian is going to go up from here. It might stay where it is, which would be great. But I, even if it stays where it is, the valuation should probably be like one quarter of what it is now. In my mind. So what, what? No, for sure. What's interesting about that comment, though, so, and this is my anecdotal conversations with people, and this is just you know people that don't tend to be super into the EV world. It seems like there's better name recognition for the Rivian pickup truck than the F one fifty Lightning, from what I've seen. Yeah, there's um, more of them out in the wild for sure. Yeah, yeah. But like even people talking about it, like when you know when I bring up that I have a Tesla or they find that I have a Tesla, it's like, oh yeah, I heard about that. And did you hear about the the Rivian pickup truck? Like it's not yeah. the F one fifty Lightning. It's like, oh, did you hear about yeah. the Rivian pickup truck? So I wonder how much, um, you know, as as the EV adoption grows, because we know the momentum. I think it's very hard to deny now that, especially in the states and in places like China. Really, I would argue every developed nation has a we've reached a, a point of no return where, where it comes to EV adoption, I, I believe. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, too. But um, it seems like as we continue that down that curve, the willingness of a person to buy an EV, I feel like there might be uh, the, the newcomers that are strictly EVs might have a better chance of bringing customers in because that's what they know how to do. Whereas say a Ford or GM, they could have something against, against them that says, well, they build gas guards, they don't build EVs and Tesla and Rivian yeah. build EVs. So they know how to build it better. Do you think there's going to be that dynamic coming to play at some point? How do you think about that? Yeah, I think that dynamic is coming into play right now. And that's kind of the success Rivian has had is that dynamic exactly um, what you described. So I think that's where they're at now. I just don't know if that carries forward to like some kind of growth and demand as the cyber mm -hmm. truck, you know, people are going to say, Oh, I can get this cool looking cyber truck. Now, you know, there's going to be some amount of people that would have bought Rivians that are now going to be buying cyber trucks. Right. You can't deny that. Right. So sure. how much does that cut from Rivian's current demand? You know, is it 20%, 50%, 80%? I don't know, but it's some significant amount. So then you got to say, okay, is Rivian going to beyond that? Is it going to still, grow its demand at a high percentage rate, even with that handicap and with the handicap of Ford F-150, you know, dealerships, you know, Ford people that want to buy yeah. EVs, they use dealerships and the F-150 is going to be sold through dealerships. So you have a whole bunch of sales people, you know, marketing people in micro economies, marketing these F-150 EVs, basically pushing the product, you know, so that's going to also subtract some of the would be Rivian demand. 
Um, I just don't see it. I just don't see Rivian being a mass manufacturer of pickup trucks. I might eat my words, and that's I could be wrong, and I'm not shorting Rivian at this time. <laughs> I have in the past at different times, and uh, um, but I think that the name sounds good. But when you when you put the numbers to the valuation, I just can't can't see it uh, working out long term for them. Okay, How- you know their the product might yeah. be around, but there'll be a niche. Sure. niche product is what i'm saying the valuation of the stock might be five to ten billion long term not which at 15 billion right now you know so if they succeed in my mind i think their long-term valuation would be like five to ten billion or something yeah no i i i think i agree with you there where where i might differ slightly is that perhaps in say the next 10 to 20 years because of the lack of willingness from legacy auto to transition 10 years ago <laughs> and the fact yeah. that a lot of these you know i'm going to use the pareto rule here so you have say out of the i don't know 70 million cars globally that get manufactured and we got manufactured 80 in 2022 i forget the number but whatever that is uh pareto would say and again this i could be 100 wrong but if the innovator's dilemma is correct where a lot of these legacy automakers will fail to transition and the Pareto rule of 80-20 rule somewhat uh, applies to this scenario, you would think that about 80% of that production capacity will, doesn't exist in 10 years, right? So right now, we're almost like, we're trying to build up the capacity to be at replacement with the gas car, but because a lot of these folks will fail, that kind of means that the production, and this is the value of death that you know everyone's talking about, is that uh, at least of all the EV space, you're not going to have that capacity long term. So under that scenario, even though Rivian might be like a niche automaker of say maybe a hundred thousand units, even fi- let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they get to five hundred thousand units as a percentage of total EV capacity in about five to ten years, it seems like there would be a much higher percentage than there would be today. And if mm-hmm. the self-driving thing takes off and they are able able to either license the Tesla technology or you know partner with somebody that comes. Uh, you know, somehow they develop their own suite and they're just as good at parity with Tesla, even maybe who knows better, but I, I highly doubt that. Then I think an argument could be made that a car valuation, an auto valuation could be drastically different than it is today. So even though Rivian might make sense at a five to $10 billion valuation or perhaps even less in today's terms, uh, given the state of the EV market in about five to 10 years, once 80% of the capacity is kind of like in limbo because no one has mm-hmm. moved, could that uh, play well to Rivian and could that just naturally give them outsized demand uh, in a market that just doesn't have enough supply? Does that, did I make any sense there? Yeah, they, that you make a lot of sense. And that they, in order for that to play out, they first have to be able to produce them profitably, right? Because if they're producing more cars at a That's loss, then they're making a bigger losses, right? So, you have to see their losses, uh, you know, diminish and become profitable at some point before that outcome. If that's, that's you know, and that's one of the theses I have is why they're not going to succeed is they just, you know, I, I think they, I think they have to make they have to pivot to the, to the Amazon delivery van soon uh, as like their feature, you know, because mm. I think uh, they, they're probably making a cost effect. They're probably redesigning. I don't know. My guess is they need to, pivot to something else. They'll still have the Rivian product at the current volumes where they're losing money. But in order to like excite investors, I feel like they have to really pivot to something a little different soon. And that's going to be like, start delivering tens of thousands of delivery vans to Amazon that are like 
kind of cheap, but there's not consumers using it to report on it. They're just Amazon delivery drive. They're kind of cheap, but yeah. they work and, and Amazon's paying them and they're, they're somewhat profitable for Rivian and they can show investors, Hey, look, we're being profitable. See, you know, so yeah. that's where okay. I see Rivian's outcome most likely. That's fair. Okay. Got it. Um, how, so let's shift gears to the Tesla story. So, you know, we've talked about Rivian for about 15, 20 minutes here and yeah. how this could impact Rivian, but it seems like Tesla for the last couple of weeks, ever since the Ford charging announcement, it's been sort of a, and another one, and another one, and another one, you know, the charging yeah. stations adopting an ACS, GM, and now Rivian coming forward and adopting their, their, the standard that Tesla created. How, how do you view the Tesla story arc in the last couple of weeks? And where do you think we go from here? Just some broad thoughts, and then we'll deep dive a few things. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Like, I just want to play a little devil's advocate to the narrative. We're all kind of uh, eating up about like, the um, correlation between uh, these charging uh, network uh, agreements and Tesla's continuous stock run-up. You know, I think I, probably there is some truth to that, but I'm not for the reason everyone thinks. But I think um, it, it, I'm not so sure in a world where those partnership agreements didn't happen, let's say it never happened, that Tesla would still not be where it is now today. You know, like I think there's been sort of a, a momentum change in tech, big cap tech stocks, which Tesla has been anointed to be one. Plus it's a manufacturer of hard technology. It's not just some software, big cap tech stock. So it's got some crazy like uniqueness about it. Sort of like Nvidia in a way that it's like got software in it's hard tech. It's producing something physical that's in high yeah. demand as well. So I think, um, and it's part of the AI story for many people, you know, real world AI, you know, Elon's been selling that vision for years and, you know, I buy it. I think it's true, you know, that this full, I use it, you know, full, you do too. And yeah. um, we see it and we experience it. And so I think uh, all this money being thrown into the AI, whether it's a bubble or just, you know, a revaluation of stocks that have exposure to AI, I think Tesla's catching a part of that wave, a big part of that wave too. And don't forget Tesla was over, I think, if we look back, we'll say, oh, Tesla was way oversold going below $200 for so long. You know, now it's not even it's still it has to go up another 50 percent just to get back to its all time high from here. You know, so it's still got a ways to go just to get back to its all time high. And many of these tech AI stocks are already past their all time highs significantly in NVIDIA's case significantly. But even Microsoft and some of these other, you know, all, a lot of these tech stocks are, are big tech tech stocks are past their all time highs already. You know, so so I, I'm not so sure the announced. I think that helps. And I think there is some truth that some of the bears arguments, you know, some of the last bear arguments are like, oh, GM, all the legacy makers, they're not sitting on their hands. They're going to make something better. They're going to do their own charger. So I think that whole the holes in those arguments are too far, too much now to be overcome with this charging partnership. So maybe some of the bears are closing some of their positions or some of the people that were skeptical, believing those, you know, bearish arguments are now like saying, hey, maybe those guys are wrong. Maybe Tesla is, you know, Ford and GM are capitulating to Tesla's charging. So there could be some marginal buying, you know, whether it's short covering and, and buying of people who are previously skeptical um, on top of that as well. But I think, you know, absent the partnerships, Tesla could still be up a lot like it is now from the last, you know, 15 trading days or whatever the streak is with like two down days, you know? What do you think? Yeah. Farley? I mean, it's, that's... I really appreciate your viewpoint because I'm I'm on the camp of the I think the charging announcements are for, for in this again again this 
I should have led the discussion with this. Not financial advice, y'all. We're just two yeah, dudes on the internet talking. Yes, Please. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I probably should have led. Do yeah. not do anything based with this information. Please do your own, your yeah. own research. But the way I think about it is that the adoption of NACS, so Tesla standard by all these automakers, I think the it does two things. One, it legitimizes Tesla's strategy from the very beginning that they've been mm -hmm. going down the right path and they're making the right moves and they've made the right decisions and uh, that this is basically positioning them them in in a, in a in a situation where they are the market leader. So, you know, you start with the charging standard and then the question becomes, well, what else are they ahead in? You know, you had all these giant automakers who for the longest time, to your point, were being sold as, hey, these are the people that actually know how to make cars. Tesla doesn't know how to make cars. They're a newcomer. They have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, Lo and yeah. behold, everyone, you know, they're, they're going on, on Elon's platform on Twitter yeah. saying, <laughs> we love working with you, Elon. They're, you bending, know, the knee. they're bending the knee. Yes. <laughs> so, so psychologically speaking, I think that does something. And if I think about the, the market in the short term, you know, I, through my through my experience investing, it does really appear that psychological things that are maybe, um, you know, like, like there there is that sense of wow, Tesla actually knows what they're doing. That could be driving the stock price in the short term. Like like today's movement, mm -hmm. like would we really have been up four percent if the Rivian announcement wasn't made? I think you so. Know? I think so. Why? I'm gonna say I think I think there's marginal buyers, institutional buyers that are not. You know, that, that's what I think drives the stock the most, not me and you getting excited about some news, which happens all the time. And then Tesla sometimes down. We just forget about it, you know. But I think that um, I, I think there's por portfolio managers out there that run multi-billion dollar hedge funds that maybe had, you know, 1% of Tesla in their portfolio. And they're telling their traders, yeah, we're moving this up to 1.5%. And, you know, you have a few marginal people like that. And that means millions of shares being bought in Tesla, net buyers. And there's not many sellers out there. You know, there's not many people looking to sell millions of shares of Tesla right now. Maybe ARK investors, they rebalance as it becomes higher, but they, that's part, but that's not that much. And then I don't think there's many people that want to sell into the strength where, you know, that I think, I think, a lot of the weak bulls in Tesla, the weak institutional bulls, especially, were cleared out in this last oh, kind of down move, and they're mostly gone. And so the road up is going to be swift, you know, for as institutions want to get a piece of Tesla in their portfolios again or increase their exposure to Tesla. And 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 you know, when today I'm looking at the volume traded, I see 127 million shares already traded. Right. And and we still got the whole close to go through. So there's going to be probably the average is 135 million. So it's probably going to be like 150, 100, between 150 and 200 million shares traded today. So that to me tells me that there's some algos out there working to try to increase to, to buy a large amount of a large chunks of Tesla shares for some big mover by some big institutions, I think. Um, so when I used to work at investment banking in the back office, there'd be like these program trades, they called it. And it was when electronic trading was first becoming a thing. And basically all the trading is like electronic now. Right. And so they would do yeah. these, these um, volume weighted average price trades. I was like the, and that's still the most common quantitative, like, you know, algo trading for getting into or out of a big position for institution is my understanding and volume VWAP. And, and that means at the start of the day, and at the end of the day, like a V, right? Like this, like mm -hmm. at the beginning of the day, the volume is the highest. In the middle of the day, it slows down. At the end of the day, the volume is highest traditionally. So when some institution says, I want to buy, you know, 2 million shares of Tesla today, 
You know, they can't buy it all at one in one five minute chunk or in 10 minutes, even that'll drive the price up like 20 bucks during a terrible average price fill. And when they're done, there's people that gamed it and are second selling down, you know, they, so what they do is they put in a VWAP order with some big investment bank or some big broker they're using that runs an automated electronic trading system that does the VWAP trade. So that buys, you know, a thousand shares in the first minute, then a thousand shares in the second minute, then a thousand shares five minutes later, then a thousand shares 10 minutes after that. And in the middle of the day, it might be like 500 shares every 10 minutes. At the end of the day, again, it increases to a thousand shares every minute. You know, so that's, it's just the VWAP curve, you know, that's how it does mm-hmm. to achieve the goal. And I feel like that's happening today. And when you see these big up moves like this, a lot of time, I think there's some of that going on. And so I think um, this is a nice, nice thing. And sometimes those get spread out over like two or three days in a row. There's some big institution. They know they can't, they're going to move the market if they try to buy, you know, 2 million shares today. So they say, okay, I'll buy 500,000 today, a million tomorrow and 500,000 the next day, you know? So I think there's been a lot of that going on the last few weeks from institutions. That's my gut feeling. But, but But you're saying that the decision to put in those VWAP orders is based on the the overall tech right right but it but it's based on the overall tech and ai momentum versus some of this charging okay okay i think there's a lot of that yep i think a lot of the tech and ai momentum yeah i do okay because i i mean if that was the case wouldn't you know like to your point of nvidia being back at all time you know back at all-time highs and past all-time highs and other tech names being at all-time highs wouldn't the same apply to tesla as well if that was truly the case well, we're working that way, just to a lesser degree. And NVIDIA is more like the most pure play AI exposure you can get right now, I think. that mm. That's the consensus among institution, among institutional Wall Street, you know, after this last earnings thing. You know, everyone needs – NVIDIA is like the nervous system that AI is going to be running on, you know. So – and then Microsoft on top of that, you know, Microsoft, ChatGPT, OpenAI Alliance, you know. And then there's Google, and then there's, you know, some people say Meta or Facebook or whatever, you know. So there's a few other players in there. But those are the, you know, but Tesla falls into that basket, you know, and so some of these institutional managers are like, all right, get me, I need to increase my NVIDIA to 1%, 2%, I need to increase Microsoft to 2%, and let's put Tesla to 1.5% or whatever. So they're all increasing their positions in all these AI-related, you know, basket of stocks, and Tesla's a huge benefactor, and rightly so. You know, we know, we've known this for years. We've been waiting for this moment, you know, with Tesla at least. So it's happening they're getting valued on the AI technology that they have now. They're starting to get valued. It's still a long way to go in my mind. Okay, so let, let me pick your brain on that. So you you said there's a long way to go. So even though the and again, this is this is hypotheses, right? Like we're hyp- yeah. hypothesizing on things. So you're saying that the a lot of these managers could have started recognizing some of that AI long-term value that Tesla can bring as a business but there's still a long way to go. So how, like, w- walk me through how long, like, is this a multi-year thing? Is this gonna be a, once RoboTaxi is live, all of it will get recognized? How, yeah. how are you thinking about that equation? Yeah, to me, the the reason I'm so heavily invested still that I'm sticking with Tesla and so convicted and excited for the long-term future is the Tesla bot, Optimus, you know? And I think mm. that's gonna be the real, killer application of tesla's real world ai it's going to just be i i i buy elon's uh you know description of what that's going to be like with you know about how 
he's proven to me one, you know, many times over the years that they can deliver on, on his vision, you know, and it just takes longer than expected sometimes, but the next shoe to drop is going to be FSD, you know, technology, robo taxi technology on the Tesla cars. And that'll start showing up in, you know, the quarterly earnings reports when people are upgrading, you know, to, you know, spending more money to upgrade to full self-driving. And then maybe they have some experimental robo taxi city like Miami or Austin that's allowing Tesla robo taxis to work within, their proximity, you know, so you'll have things like that pop up that'll like over time, I think inch the Tesla value, not inch it, but it might, you know, jaggedly move it up valuation to like maybe from 1 trillion to 2 trillion market cap or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the, uh, the, the bot, the te- then, then once that starts happening, people are going to see around the corner to like, Oh, the Tesla bot might be real. Let's start looking into that. You know? So I yeah. think that's going to get all of us excited and we'll be like 10 trillion valuation it deserves. You know, and we'll start seeing that. We'll start seeing the path to that. And wall street will still be take a little longer to get there. And maybe Berkshire Hathaway or something, you know, and starts buying into Tesla between one and 2 trillion or something to get in late or something. But uh at some point, I think the Tesla bot, um, that's going to be super exciting. I still don't know exactly, you know, what it's going to entail. I just know it's going to be big. And I think it's a very high probability. It's not definite, but I think it's a very high probability. It makes me excited to stay long-term invested, knowing that I have the grounding of the FSD technology around the corner as well. But you think most of that recognition is going to come from the from the bot, not FSD going live. So it's, it's even though... In the long term, yeah. In the long term, okay. Ten years out from five to ten years out from here, yeah. So imagine Tesla bot didn't exist. What percentage of and say it was just Tesla FSD? What percentage of the value do you think Wall Street has recognized thus far on pace to that full valuation being baked into the stock price? If that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, Tesla could get to two to five trillion market cap. just with the FSD robo taxi, you know, relatively quickly, you know, like in a matter of like, it could jump up to there in like one year, I think if one year, meaning like if there's like FSD goes live in a few cities and people are more buying it, I think you could jump from like, you know, one to two to even three or four or 5 trillion pretty quickly in a year, let's say, but then it might hover there for a while. And even though Tesla's producing, you know, 10 million cars a year and, and selling more like their PE is going to compress over time because they're, you know, sort of like what we see, what we've seen historically with Tesla it jumps quickly and then it kind of stabilizes for a while before it jumps again, you know? So I think yeah. that that last jump will not happen though. If, if, if the, the tops of what Tesla is doing is just producing a ton of EVs and FSD technology, I think the Tesla valuation could get to 10 trillion eventually, but it's going to be a slower progress. It's not going to be a jump to 10 trillion from like, you know, three or 4 trillion, like Berkshire Hathaway might buy in around three or 4 trillion, for example. And then it just goes up, you know, 20% a year on average for, you know, five years going forward to get to like whatever, you know? So I think that's kind of the story it would play if there was no Tesla bot, which is good too, but it's just not as exciting to me as the Tesla bot, that next jump after the FSD jump. Yeah. Let me let me pick your brain on the Berkshire Hathaway point because you know, from my perspective, and I'm not Berkshire Hathaway, and that's obvious because I don't have hundreds of billions of dollars to my name. Okay, these guys know yeah. what they're doing. Uh, Charlie and Warren are both legends. But you know, if if their mo has been to find no brainer opportunities that are easy to identify and it's almost guaranteed returns in the long term. That's conceptually how I think about their investment strategy. And I'd love for you to, you know, because you are very familiar with how they operate. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But isn't Tesla today, hasn't it approached the 
almost no brainer category that in the long term, it's going to be around and it's going to have a huge impact. And the reason why I say this is they're a profitable, you know, maybe maybe uh-huh. maybe the valuation is very rich for someone like a Warren or Charlie. But you have the NACS adoption from other automakers, which gives, I think, Tesla, hey, like they know what they're doing kind of point. And then you also have Elon being courted by basically every country in the world to build factories in their country. Isn't that enough data that says this seems like a no brainer opportunity? How do you think about that? I would love to hear your thoughts on if this is something that maybe Berkshire or Hathaway would even be willing to recognize, or is it just like we shouldn't be thinking about it that way? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, just a disclaimer, I'm I'm not uh, probably as expertise in Berkshire Hathaway's, uh, you know, valuation or their thought process as as you you think. <laughs> I've I, I uh, I've read some Warren Buffett letters and quotes. I haven't even read his. You know, and, and uh, you're an expert like everybody Munger. else. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, Charlie Munger and stuff. And I've heard them talk and I know their story and everything. And, uh, you know, one might even say I put a controversial tweet out recently, like if it was not for a Geico, would Warren Buffett be seen as the number one investor of all time? So I think he'd still be a legend, but I don't know if he'd be number like consensus number one investor of all time if it was not for Geico. You know, so mm-hmm. he's been in, involved in Geico from the very beginning, even before Berkshire Hathaway started, and then Berkshire Hathaway took a big And I asked like ChatGPT for it to help me figure out what his return would be without Geico, and I couldn't quite figure it out. But it admits that it's somewhat, you know, it seemed to think agree with me that it was somewhat controversial. My hypothesis that it could be controversial, his performance being, you know, the best of all time or whatever without Geico. I don't know. I tried to prompt it. I need to work on my prompt engineering with ChatGP4. But what I'm saying is, you know, he's got an old school way of thinking about investing in businesses. It's worked and it's worked very well. And he's done very well. You know, he's picked a few gems and, you know, um, among, you know, but he's also had failures, you know, in some of his picks, you know, IBM or and there's a bunch, host of other failures that people don't talk about. They just talk about like the five picks, Coca-Cola or, you know, um, Geico and like one or two other names usually. But and I think he's super wise and he'd be a legendary investor no matter what. But would he be, the, you know, is he the best of all time for sure? I don't know. I mean, I think you miss Tesla. If you miss Tesla, are you the best investor of all time? I don't think that's possible. I don't think you can be the best investor of all time if you're missing the best investment of all time right in front of you the whole time during your career. So I I, I think that's a, a, a point people need to think about. Uh, that doesn't mean he's not a legendary investor. I'm just saying he's not the best of all time. And now you have to say, okay, well, why is he still a legendary investor? Well, he's got a bunch of, uh, he's got a great track record. He's got a great picks, but he values businesses. Certainly he's a certain mindset and he's self-admittedly himself that he's not great with, with, with technology. I think he got into Apple late, you know, like he could have gotten to Apple much oh, earlier, yeah. obviously, and he got in eventually and it's done well still for him. So I think he could still get into Tesla, but late, you know, what you and I would say is late and it could still do well for him. You know, so I think that's still in the cards for him, but he's like 97 or something. I don't know. Charlie Munger's like a hundred or so. I don't know. I don't know how much longer they're going to be alive. Like, are they going to even be alive to see Tesla? You know, can, are their minds even capable to think in terms of like technology advancing faster and faster, you know, like that we witness right now, like 10 mm-hmm. years, five or 10 years from now, technology can be so unrecognizable in so many ways than what we see today, you know? And I don't think they, I don't, I think a lot of value investors like him, they see the past and they think the past rate of progress is indicative of what the progress going forward is going to be. And I don't think 
that's true. And I think that's the weak point for value investors um, and tech companies. So you just have to pick the right tech companies that are going to be part of that curve. And if you do, you can outperform the value investors greatly. So I think, um, you know, we had Drew Dixon on our channel, Matt, Matt and I, the last interview I did with Matt on Good Soul, we did with Drew Dixon, who's a bear and value investor. And I'm not saying he's wrong, but his viewpoint is that the legacy guys are going to find a way. And, you know, I think he kind of has a similar viewpoint that, you know, um, the technology of Tesla is nothing too special that others can't reproduce and it's not going to innovate, keep continue innovating faster. Like the innovation of Tesla is mostly done or the others are going to catch up, you know? So it's just, uh, I just don't think that mindset works going forward. If you want to be considered the best investor of all time, you know, I don't know if, I don't yeah. think he wants to be considered that, but that's what many people anoint him as the best investor of all time. And does that yeah, make sense? No, that's, that's a lot of it does. Stuff. No, it does. It makes perfect sense. I just I just find it interesting that when Elon made comments earlier this year, or was it la late last year, he says something along the lines of Tesla is going to be able to uh, generate cash flows and be, you know, sort of in a financial position that even Charlie and Warren from Berkshire Hathaway would start to look at the name. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember that comment he made from earlier this year? I remember something about... Year? Where was that? Where was that? Where was that question? So tell me again. I, I, I want to say was like quarterly earnings call. Someone in the comments, if if you remember, Elon talked about that it would it would start becoming a uh, like a like a story that people like Charlie and Warren Berkshire Hathaway would start to think about getting into. And I, I just comment on them in the yeah. past, like if they, they had a chance to invest a while back, but they never did. Or so I heard him mention that a few right. times. I don't remember him saying that. But it, maybe he did in like a off the cuff remark to an answer in, a, yeah. in, in an annual meeting like last year or something like that. It's possible. Yeah. But I'm not sure I took I didn't take it like maybe it was at the valuation Tesla was out when it was like one hundred and fifty dollars or so. I don't know. But when it was like five hundred billion or less. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'll wait and see if somebody in the, in the comment section can can uh, remember exactly where it was from. But I remember that comment. And that's kind of what got my mind thinking is like, wow. OK, so. If Elon, if Elon's kind of thinking about Tesla in this, in these, in this lens, I wonder if they have things up their sleeve that are really going to start uh, flexing Tesla's muscle from a financial perspective that even people like Charlie and Warren can't ignore it. And it seems like thus far this year, I mean, maybe accidentally, maybe folks are starting to warm up to the name from that perspective because of AI's long-term uh, impact to Tesla's valuation and so on and so forth. So it's almost like, you know, it's just, it's been such an odd year because, and I, and I forget who I was talking to this about, maybe it was in the community forum last Friday, but we started the year in the dumpster. I mean, my God, I haven't seen, that was probably the most pessimistic I've ever seen the Tesla community, yeah. investing community be. And then now, now, what, six months later, you know, we're nowhere near all time highs, but everybody's quite cheerful. You know, uh, Elon Musk is making all these rounds. Uh, as soon as Tesla said they're going to advertise, all of a sudden mainstream media is like, wow, amazing job, Tesla. Great job with the charging standard. Is Elon the goat? You know, is he the yeah, great? Yeah. Like you can see the, the freaking just how much a, a little signal that, hey, yeah, you know, we might advertise and every network's like, oh, my God. Okay, we gotta say nice yeah. things so they advertise yeah. with us. It's just <laughs> yeah, they definitely changed their tone after that. I feel like the tone oh. of the media changed after his comment there, you know. So the, it, that helped, I think, just that. Yeah, and, and fascinating stuff. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
it's just yeah, it's crazy to see these roller coaster rides with Tesla. I've been on you and I have both been on many of them where yeah. it goes up and down and the emotions and the you know, the toxic there's there's multiple cultures of subcultures within factions within Tesla now. There's like the toxic maximalists that you know, then there's like realists and there's skeptics that are still bulls and you know, there's like lots of sub factions. But I feel like the most the most toxic people I think a lot of them got burnt out and flushed out. You know, the people that were yeah. just like pure gamblers on short-term call options or whatever, a lot of them just got completely burnt out in this last kind of flush down to a hundred dollars a share. And so it's been a nice kind of cleansing to get rid of some of that. I don't see as much of that as I used to see, which is nice uh, that like, yeah. you know, the, the Tesla to the moon, you know, I don't know. It just used to be over the top sometimes. And I was like, Oh my gosh, there's crazies in this uh, Tesla. And there's still crazies <laughs> like any community, but I just think there's less of it now than there used to be. I agree 100%. Let me let me ask you this question because we did this exercise with the community forum a couple of weeks ago. Think so think about your investing uh journey and then think about the last 12 months in the Tesla name. So like between what was it? Around the September and and January February where it was extremely challenging to sort of separate it seemed like to separate signal from noise when it came to the Tesla story. What are some of the lessons you've learned during that period of time that you could share with with everyone um that might be of value like is there something new that you learned in the last 12 months call it uh something new um or something that really stuck out as like man this this thing keeps repeating over and over again this it's it's so important to have this in mind like what what's something yeah. that sticks out yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing that sticks out the most is the product. Like, I just you have to go back down to like first principles. Investing is like for for Tesla is is nice in that I can touch and feel and use the product. Unlike something like Snowflake, which I don't know, or Palantir, I don't know what the frick their product. You know, people talk about those stocks. I can't get behind that because I don't understand their product or software. I don't use it. I don't know it. Um, but I can use and touch and feel and use a Tesla. And I can talk to other people that do that, and I can get their experience. And if I, you know, if I can just remember that it's the best product and I'm, I'm I still think it's the best product and everyone around me who buys one loves their Tesla you know then as long as that's the case I know my investment thesis for Tesla long term is still firm you know as long as they're still producing them profitably which they were you know and and and, and then when they were squeezing margins so much that's what worried me when Elon's like well we could hypothetically if we wanted to sell them for even money and then make money in the future because he's so you know, but I I still believe in the long term picture, but I can still see Tesla in that case getting valued, you know, much less than it was at that time, potentially, and be very painful if Tesla was selling cars at cost, basically, if they wanted to actually do that. Um, but I, I, I still remember the I still know the product is the best, you know. And if I started seeing other cars, you know, the Rivian is a great product for a pickup truck, right? But if I started seeing like um people buying Polestars and you know, uh, Mach E's and, you know, whatever e-trons like crazy. If I start seeing that a lot and people saying, I love this better than my Tesla so much better, you know, or if I saw some more anecdotes to that in the real world and, or even on YouTube channels, like by real people, then I would just start second guessing, like, uh, maybe I should exit some, but that, that seems to be so far from the truth that, you know, as long as I know the product is the best. And even if there's another product that's competitive, like maybe the Rivian pickup truck, they can't produce it profitably. It's got to be a product that's competitive to Tesla that's being produced profitably. Then I have to start thinking my sec second, then I really second guess my thesis, my long-term investment thesis on Tesla potentially. But I just don't, mm -hmm. I don't see that happening. If that makes sense, that's where I have to go to it if does. I see this not getting killed. I have to go to like, what's the first principle 
investment thesis here, you know? Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that product. The product is the most important. Just go back to what, what the company's building and then make mm -hmm. sure that they're still doing what you thought they were supposed to be doing. And if they are, then it's likely to be a short-term thing versus an actual fundamental change to the story. Yeah. Is that a good way of thinking about it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and there could be bumps, like even without, if Tesla never admitted they were going to do, like, let's say the worst and they were selling cars at cost and they were like, I'm never going to advertise. And Elon's like, no, we're never going to advertise. We'll just sell cars at cost or whatever. Even if he was just totally refusing to do that. I still think long-term Tesla will, will win the EV space, you know, but it's just going to be a much more painful ride the next few years first. That's all. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. As you were uh, talking and giving your wise advice, we got a, a $2 super sticker coming from William and a $10 oh. super sticker from Brian. So sure. Emmett, you got you got a couple IPAs coming your way once you come oh, to nice. Austin, my friend. We, we're going right. to hook you up. Hell yeah. Okay. Thank you all very much for your uh, contribution. Super appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Brian. Real, yeah, for sure. Real quick, I and actually I accidentally clicked on this, but it's perfect segue to what I was about to bring up. Any thoughts on Giga India potential? Elon met India PM today again. Let me go ahead and share my screen and get everybody up to speed on what Moon is uh, talking about here. So there is a video shared from uh, our f a good friend of the show, Mr. Sawyer. Let me go ahead and reshare that again because I don't think I clicked on share audio. Yeah, I did. See, that's why I need this producer wife. I don't mm -hmm. know what I'm doing. So Sawyer Merritt news, Elon Musk to meet with Indian uh, India Prime Minister uh, Narendra Modi in New York within the next few days. During a recent interview, Elon indicated India was an interesting location for a potential Tesla Gigafactory. Let me go ahead and play this, um, uh, yep. Emmett. So what, I don't know what they're saying. So let me go ahead and okay. click this and then make sure everybody in the chat, make sure you can hear this as well. So that was uh, Republic TV's ground report. But the latest we are getting in now, viewers, is that Prime Minister Modi will be meeting over 20 thought leaders in New York. And, uh, and uh, Niranjan Narayan Swami, our uh, executive editor, is joining us on the phone line. Uh, uh, Niranjan, uh, good morning. This is a big ticket meeting, Prime Minister Modi meeting 20 thought leaders in New York. And uh, it includes Elon Musk, the Twitter chairman, and also the CEO of Tesla. Last month, we saw that uh, uh, he met with uh, some government officials as well, because he's very much interested, uh, you know, for uh, as, well, as far as business is concerned. Uh, electric vehicle maker considers investing in uh, the manufacturing. Uh, you know, in India, very important. And uh, this is one event that, you know, the whole world will be watching. This is a big ticket meeting, 20 prominent names. Niranjan. Well, absolutely. And many of them are believers in, in the India story. For example, Elon Musk uh, uh, is, is a big believer. He believes India is one of the biggest markets and, and uh, he has a lot of investments in China. Of course, Tesla uh, has done big business in China and he's looking forward to making that big Indian entry. So in that sense, Elon Musk is uh, by far one of, uh, you know, the, the biggest thought leaders in the world, given simply how influential he is. Okay. Your reaction? Uh, yeah, I think it's great. Um, I think he, he, Modi's meeting several thought leaders and Musk is one of uh, several, but probably uh, the most important in our minds and probably in Modi's mind, I would imagine. So I don't know how long that meeting is going to be, or is it going to be in a group setting? Is, it going to, is he going to have one-on-one -on -one time with Elon? If he has one-on-one -on -one time, is it for two minutes? Is it for two hours? You know, so there's a lot of variables we don't know, but um, you know, I think it's a good sign. Good, it's signal to some degree. I just don't know to what degree, but it's signal in the right direction for Tesla 
in India potential. Um, so if and when Tesla does something in India, that would be nice. Um, one devil's advocate there is China. I don't, are they going to view it as nice? <laughs> I don't know. They, they're not very happy. They don't, I think them in India are very competitive with each other and they don't like each other. And um, so hopefully there's no penalty on the China business, Tesla China side. If Elon comes to some alliance with Modi and in India on building things there, um, I, I don't think that would happen, but it's a possibility as well. So people should consider that as well. But I think Elon wants to do what's best for the world and what's best for the world is go to India, you know, the second biggest country by population, or maybe it's the biggest, I forget, but to actually do something there in terms of building out Tesla's, uh, technology and infrastructure for, you know, sustainable energy and transport. So it makes sense. Elon wants to do it, but it has to be on the right terms. And I think Modi and his team have probably, uh, they've been, you know, playing hardball with Elon and Tesla, but maybe they're ready to bend the knee as well. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting about what's been happening in the last couple of weeks and months is that Elon Musk really has ramped up his um his visits <laughs> with world leaders and i wonder how much of this i mean you, you have you have to think that all of this uh sort of meet up with people is directly tied with his uh his goal of getting to 20 million cars per year by 2030 because without all of these sort of conversations with presidents and prime ministers to try and get the best deal possible to open up a factory you can't get to 20 million without at least five or six more factories right so um do you think india is going to be the next one like how do you think about the next facility the next factory that tesla is going to look to to open up uh well definitely you know mexico is right around the corner and then oh sure um you know i, I think uh europe uh france and italy and other countries are probably courting him hard and uh, now india is courting him so i don't know where the next would be i mean it could be like three at a time. Maybe, maybe they'd say, okay, we're going to open locations in India and Italy, you know, in 20 start, start process on those in 2025 or something. They might announce that sometime into this year or 2024, you know? So I think they're, you know, it's, it's in the cards, um, but it has to do with, you know, is, is India and, and Modi, are they going to, you know, agree to Tesla's, you know, terms, Right. So I think Tesla yeah. has a certain set of minimum terms they need to have um, different countries agree to. And it seems like some of the European countries are ready to do it and competing with each other. And just a matter of how motivated, how much I don't know the India government situation well enough to know what kind of constraints Modi has. Is he just can he can he offer Elon whatever he wants or does he have to go back to his you know, constituents in India and get them to agree. I don't really know the whole India economy well enough, but it would be a great location to have just to get going there because, you know, billions of people live in India and there's lots of, you know, they could probably build, you know, a $25,000 car very successfully if they wanted to. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think India is going to be next or what? I mean, I don't, you, you know, you probably have a better guess than me. I mean, I, I you, you watch this stuff <laughs> very close. I, for me, it's like the, the one rumor I keep hearing or, or the one thing I keep hearing from people that are actually familiar with, with that part of the world is that it, it, there are uh, Modi does have uh, certain restrictions around importing, I, I, I guess, building in, his, in, in, in India. It seems to be 
quite difficult for a company like Tesla to go in and actually build up, build a manufacturing plant there, that it's not going to be as advantageous for the for Tesla from that perspective, that there are other better place to build it, better places to build the factory. But what I go keep going back to is sort of what you said, and some folks said in the comments section that the India is now the world's most populated country in the world, uh, mm. number one, one point what a four billion people or something like a, yeah. an insane amount of people, and they're a developing nation, developing economy, um, and and they have a huge need for affordable uh, transportation, affordable EVs in the long term. And then the other part of it too is that India uh, is, at least from the research I've done, and I would love to hear people's thoughts in the comment section below, is that it's primed to also take advantage of Tesla energy and solar power and everything that it uh, sort of provides because it's it gets a lot of sun it's sort of located in in a in a part of the world where you're going to be able to take advantage of solar energy quite easily uh i'm not super familiar with its raw materials and sort of you know are there battery raw materials close enough for them to really bring in but i'm guessing that's where china comes in and maybe neighboring countries so you know these are part of the equation but i think if elon musk is talking with the indian prime minister to me it would seem like they are they're going to be at some point a host for a Tesla factory. I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Like, how I could see, you not have a factory? In that yeah, place? yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I see Moon in the comments says India is the next China in terms of economic development, and I feel like that's true. I feel like that's been the case. People have been saying that for years, though. I, I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. Why there hasn't been like a flippening of India economy, India's economy over China, or if that'll ever happen. And then uh, Raymond Chen says. Some of the Apple suppliers regretted the move to India from China. That would be interesting. I, I would like to know specifics. If there, you know, what Raymond, if you have specifics, it would be interesting to know where you get that from. Um, and then I saw uh, one other comment that was interesting. Um, yeah, I don't remember what the other, but there was some other good comments in the comment section. Uh, yeah. So I think uh, Mimi says uh, all the suppliers have to be in India too. They are very protective. Yeah, I heard that was one of the terms, uh, but maybe they're going to relax that term. And I think, um, but Elon and Tesla have, I think, agreed to do some kind of trial run on there in India. So that was one of the terms that all of the, you know, everything has to be built within India. Like nothing can be imported right. from other places, it sounds like. So pollution's terrible there, she says. Yeah, I, I think I've heard that too in India. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, it'd be a nice uh, if 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 Elon and Tesla can be the pioneers of like Western technology industry coming into India and building something really substantial in India, that'd be really cool. You know, like people have done that. Tesla, I mean, Apple and others have done that with with uh, China, but now India it feels like um, there, there's a, a big opportunity there. Uh, just needs to break in there and get things going. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this comment from Toronto Greenhouse, India has huge population, but cars cost $10,000 and energy infrastructure needs a lot of development, maybe an energy storage mega factory. That's another great yeah. point here. Um, yeah. yeah, 
and other great comments as well. By the way, if you are joining us, uh, we have about a thousand viewers. Uh, so thank you all very much for joining us uh, live. Uh, we will do a Q and A uh, session here shortly. So if you would like to ask a question, make sure you write question before your question in all caps so I can uh, pull it up uh, super easily on the comment section on the on the screen here. I'll have producer wife with me today. So any help you can give me, I highly appreciate it. Um, One thing I want to ask you for yeah. is that Please. Before we or give me, I want to ask you something or bring up something is, um, yeah. What did you think about the Zuby interview? Uh, oh, yeah. did you listen to it all? I mean, it's, it's first of all, for me, it was kind of hard because you have to listen to like 90 minutes on Twitter and like if your phone yeah. screen shuts down, you got to start it over and figure out where you left off. It was kind of a pain, but I think that'll yeah. be figured out in time. But what did you think overall about the actual content of the interview? Yeah, I, I watched the interview, so I think you know, I can definitely. Um, appreciate, I, I thought the overall sentiment I saw on Twitter from people that follow the story very closely, you know, they said, oh my God, here we go again. <laughs> it's the same thing. You know, he's answered these questions a thousand times. Yeah. I think what I found interesting about the Zuby interview though, is that it, he did get a few, a few, you know, it was mostly around the societal impact of, of, of Twitter and how sort of he behaves as a human being. I think Zuby's content is, uh, you know, it, I follow him not super closely, but uh, but I definitely you know, follow him on Twitter and I, I've watched his content. I think he he does some interesting stuff from that perspective. So f so seeing Elon in that setting more and more, I view it as something that uh, will broaden, I think, his appeal to more and more people. And in a way is like, a, I think of it as a sort of a loose marketing for his products and what he stands for. I think we're entering an age uh, in, in the 2020s, if you want to call it. It seems like um, if you are if you're somebody who is not afraid to be vulnerable and honest and you're not afraid to voice your opinion on things, I think that could bode well for you in a case. And I think that was a, sort of a showcase of that. But as far as new information about Tesla, the technology, I, I there was nothing there. But I don't know if Zuby yeah. was the right person to ask that. You know, I think I think he he yeah. had a different thing in mind. What did you think of the interview? Yeah, you know, I agree with your take, and I think a lot of us Tesla fanatics and Elon fanatics, you know, everyone who's listening here and watching probably were disappointed because we're all hoping for like new information about Tesla, new thoughts from Elon that we haven't heard before. Uh, so we're all sort of a little disappointed in the content, feel like, oh, 90% of the stuff I've heard before. Um, but I think it was good overall because Zuby has a whole different audience that hasn't listened to Elon interviews before. So they're all listening right. to Elon's thoughts on this stuff for the first time. So we have to keep that in mind. Um, so I think overall is a success, but on the other point, I think it would be great, you know, if someone, and I think you personally, he responds to a lot of your tweets. Now you're like on his follow, you know, he definitely, you're on his list of Tesla people, he, you know, fans, he follows. There's a bunch we should of people, post but, each other sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it would be great. I think it would be, what do you think about this idea? What do you think about it? Like once a month, Elon does like a 30 minute check-in interview with like someone like you, for example, just to ask new questions about what's going on with Tesla or anything could be anything, yeah, but it's going to be always, it's guaranteed to be new because you have already, like maybe, maybe there'll be some old stuff he's regurgitated, but over time, he's not going to repeat the same things to you that he did the previous month, right? You're going to be continuously building on new dialogues over time. And I think that would be the way for us to all get a better window into his mind and how it works you know, because he defaults to the same stories or the same analogies about things. 
a lot of times I think he just goes into autopilot mode and you don't want to be the interviewer and interrupt him and be like, Oh, you've already said that. Let me go on a new question. You know, you can't, that, that'd be rude, right? It's hard to do. So I think, but I don't think he could, he would do that naturally with someone if he's doing the same interview with that person every month or whatever for 30 minutes or yeah, I, I think yeah. it would be a really good solution for us all that hungry to learn new thoughts from Elon, you know, because that's what we want. We sure. want to hear like his new ideas, his new inspirations, his new insights about the world, you know, whatever it is. And he tweets him out, which is cool. But uh, verbally in an interview format is really nice when you hear it, too, because you can really expound upon it and you can get his, you know, you, you, you understand a lot more from his expressions or whether he's joking or not. So I think doing like a, a regular interview check in with someone would be really neat if that could happen because that would be the way we all continuously learn from him. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great idea. I mean, yeah, that's, I, that would be an honor. Obviously. I think there are many people, it could be many people, yeah, it could be anyway. many there's people. a lot of people, yeah. like, but you as an example would do great, but it could be like, yeah. you know, whoever else, Dave Lee, obviously it could be, you know, who sure. else is comfortable? Rob Mauer. Yeah. Rob Mauer, Lex Friedman, whatever, you know, it could be Lex yeah. Friedman. I don't know, but it could be just someone yeah. regularly, but Lex Friedman's interviews are like three hours. I don't think he wants to do them. Like that. Four, so, four. but like, but like a half hour, an hour interview, one on one with the person, just to check in, you know, and you can ask yeah. them updated things about the current events, but also about like what's what are your thoughts on this if this happened, or you know, it would be really cool because you would never, you'd guarantee never to repeat the same thing from the previous month, really. You know, like sure, it would just make sense. Yeah, I think I think that's a great idea. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna clip that. I'm gonna clip that from this video. I'm gonna post it on Twitter and tag him and see if we can uh, get him to. Yeah. Agree. Right? That's great. I'll tag yeah. you too. That's Everybody, great, yeah. we're going to post it on Twitter, retweet it. And if Elon agrees to it, great. I don't care. It could be me, Emmett, <laughs> Dave, whoever. Joe yeah. the plumber. I don't it care. Could be someone that just regularly <laughs> has a conversation that they may make public to get the new information, yes. new insights out of yeah. Elon. Yeah. Great idea. And then, and then we can pull questions from investors. Yeah. Like, you know, even if it's once a quarter, like I don't, I think the cadence yeah. is up for grabs, but we can always bring something forward that's new. And then uh, the person that's, you know, that's, um, you know, chatting with him, then hopefully that person can, you know, steer the conversation somewhere that has been unexplored. I do wonder how much I wonder how much he has to think about uh, be, being careful what he shares because he has a, you know, Tesla's a public company and SpaceX has contracts with governments, right? I, I, yeah. the, the U.S. government. I wonder how much of it is just him being overly cautious on what he can answer with. But I do think the framing of a lot of questions can be changed so that new information comes out of brand new topics. Like, like the one thing I've been dying to talk to him about is how, how he thinks about the culture of Tesla long-term as a company adds more people. Cause I, I, that's something yeah. I'm intimately familiar with, but like yeah. how, like wh how do you make sure that exists when you're a mil when you're hiring a million people globally potentially in yeah. ten years? Like how do you think yeah. about that? You know, like yeah. what are you, what's the thought process? Yeah, it's there? gonna get so, crazy. It's gonna be hard to keep that yeah. culture of innovation going. Yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, great. Okay, we'll put it out there. Yeah, great idea. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. we can get him to agree and uh, because I I did see also on on Twitter he said he he also prefers technical interviews. And then, uh, you know, some folks came in, Jordan from the limiting factory is like, dude, let me know. Uh, yeah. I would love to sit down. We had other yeah. folks as well. And I was like, if you yeah. need a moderator, let me know. And yeah. <laughs> Jordan's yeah. like, Jordan's like, uh, when you have, uh, two folks with Asperger's in a room, you need somebody with a human touch. So we definitely appreciate you being there. Yeah. <laughs> like, <okay. laughs> and I made a joke. Yeah. Yeah, I made a joke. I'm like, who's Asperger? I've never heard of him. Anyway, I was being a silly, <laughs> silly person. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, this is hilarious. Farza, don't offer him a joint. 
I don't know, man. Who knows? <laughs> if we're in person, anything can happen. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a beer and, and chat, you know, have a good yeah. time. Okay. Ready for some Q&A, Emmett, for the next uh, yeah. 20 minutes or so? Cool with I'm that? Ready. I okay. saw a super chat one. Did you see the super chat one there? I did, yeah. Okay. StreamYard, uh, StreamYard does this thing where it automatically highlights super chats. It's super, oh, super great. helpful. All right, let's go ahead and start with that. 11 uh, euro super chat. Thank you so much uh, for your contribution. The IPA fund grows for Emmett. Question. <laughs> Why do you think Tesla doesn't sell extended drivetrain warranty as a product? The drivetrain is already designed for 1 million miles. It would increase margins and address consumers' uh, battery-related fears. How do you think about that question? Yeah, I mean, extended drivetrain. I mean, there's an initial warranty of like 100,000 miles or 150. I can't remember what it is exactly, but I thought it was something like that. But the extended, yeah, that'd be a great way to maybe boost some demand because people of people that are concerned like, Oh, I heard those batteries don't last a long time. You know, you can say, well, they have the drivetrain warranty up to 500,000 miles or whatever, you know, like instead of a hundred thousand. So I think there is, you know, opportunity there, but um, maybe just, they just don't feel it's necessary at this time. Maybe it's one of the many demand levers. They feel incremental demand levers. They feel like they could pull in the future if they need to, you know, Elon's referenced, they have a lot of demand levers, you know, he's referenced that before. So maybe this is one of the many incremental ones they could pull at some point, but yeah, I don't know. I, I also heard that supercharging the car regularly as opposed to charging at home can make uh, the battery, uh, you know, the, the drivetrain, uh, not as uh, last, not as long. I'm, maybe that's the battery. I don't know. I'm, am I confusing the drivetrain, the battery? I don't, I don't really know. I think the drivetrain includes the battery, right? So, um, yeah, the way Corey cool. defines it is like, it's slightly different, but you're saying motors plus batteries basically yeah. that entire skateboard. Yeah. 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 So I'm not as technical. That would be a great question for Corey. Like you said, <laughs> there. next time you guys talk, you should ask him this question, but I, I'm not an expert to know enough, but it hasn't affected my buying decision or anyone I know's buying decision, but it probably there's some people who might affect their decision. Do you have any thoughts as far as that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what's interesting here is that the, you know, they could offer it, but I think it would be a, a much more, a much more powerful thing if, um, they just included with the purchase of the vehicle, like because one of, one of the, uh, you know, and again, this is probably a better thing for Corey as we're talking, but as their electric, uh, electric drivetrain and battery combination, uh, as their expertise gets better and better over time, I think it's not unconceivable that the drivetrain and the battery would be so reliable that just offering you say hey you buy a tesla maintenance is on us for the life of the vehicle because we know it's not going to break yeah. i think something like that would be so powerful especially as they're going down the price bracket to the compact car and maybe the robo taxi if you, if you want to call it that where it's like hey uh, $25,000 or whatever, but if you buy it with Tesla Finance, will maintenance is included because we know you're not going to need to repair it ever outside. If you get into a collision, then that's, you know, you can, you can use Tesla insurance to, to, you know, yeah. to deal with that. And yeah. then all in 450 bucks a month. And we'll give you, you know, and that includes, uh, uh, charging and home. You know how they have the Texas plan for 30 bucks a month. You can just get basically unlimited charging overnight or something at your house. Just okay. make a bundle something together that includes something like this, but it's already in the price. And then somebody can just pay, you know, because you think about a car buyer. The one thing I've learned is that they're 
uh, majority of them are payment buyers. They want to get as much car as possible for the for the money. And so if you yeah. can get if you can spend 450 to 500 bucks a month all in for car payment, service, insurance, charging, everything, then who wouldn't take that? And I think that's what an EV enables long term is that sort of equation to come to fruition. Just make it so stupid easy. 500 bucks, drive a Tesla, you're done. You know, yeah. don't have to worry about nothing else. Literally everything's yeah. covered. Just all in that? one package deal. They could do that. Bundle it and make it a premium. Even just people just want the peace of mind of knowing it's all taken care sure. of. Exactly. Cool. All right. Let's do the next question here from Andrew. Question. Repeat. Repeated in all caps. Uh, has Emmett recently bought out of the money calls amid the Tesla run up? Uh, hey, uh, hey, Andrew. How you doing? I know Andrew. And uh, nice. yeah, I mean, um, it's funny in uh, the fund. We've talked about it before. We've done some some of some of that before, I think, in the fund. But my personal Tesla holdings actually uh, sold some covered calls on a portion of my shares at like the worst possible time. Like uh, <laughs> it was just a portion of my shares, not like a majority or anything. But I was like, I need to start generating some income to like live life. I can't just be borrowing cash continuously against my Tesla holdings and going to deeper margin balance. So I was like, I was like, I got to. Um, so, so then the day after, literally like the day after, two days after I sold those covered calls, that Tesla began its historic 14 day in a row rise. And I was like, oh crap. And I knew that would be a, a risk though, going into it. That's why I didn't sell it on like even half of my shares, just a small portion. And, but I was re ready to um, just, uh, you know, eat my, or, or, or sleep in the bed that I made with those shares and taking massive, it was June 16th expiry. So it expired Friday and I bought some of them back at a great loss. Uh, but I let the rest of it, uh, just exercise and sell the shares. So now I have no margin balance, which is nice. I had a small margin balance that was growing over time, but I have a big nice. tax bill on those shares that were, uh, sold. So, um, you know, just, reinforce that I'm not a call seller. You know, that's not my forte. Uh, you know, I've never really sold covered calls. The one time I tried to dip my toe in it, it just burned me crazy there. So, you know, it's a whole different mindset buying calls or selling calls. And, you know, um, I just, uh, buying calls though. Um, you know, I've bought calls. From, I still have some long-term calls on my personal account that I've bought a way back to. So, you know, I always have some of that in my uh, account, but most of it is most of my personal holdings is Tesla shares. And then uh, the fund that I run is a lot of uh, options, though. Got it. Thank you very much for yeah. your answer. This is the next one. Philip, question. What about factory in Canada? Or is that announced? Heard a boss from Big Mining saying they had Tesla down the road at Dylan Loomis interview. Uh, any thoughts there? Uh, I think they've probably been um, working, talking to Canada. Canada makes sense in a lot of, for a lot of reasons, I think. Um, but it sounds like the regulators or the legislators or whatever, it feels like Tesla might have gotten cold feet with Canada and decided on Mexico. So I don't know if Canada is still in the, in the to be honest, I don't know if, there's, if, mm. if it's still in the cards for Tesla to build a factory there anytime soon. What do you think, Farzad? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think that might still be in play only because there is, uh, I believe Toyota and Nissan or Honda, there are two automakers up in Canada that build cars today. And they, they do have proximity to some, to, to a lot of raw materials. I think it was in Quebec or Ontario, one of, one of the two provinces, I forget which one, mm -hmm. but but sort of that Northern part of the, of the continent has a, a ton of stuff for Tesla to utilize. So I don't think they're necessarily out of the question 
but perhaps your I do wonder how your you know what you just said about well they landed on Mexico and Canada was sort of the alternative and they ended up uh, going with Mexico anyway but I think I think long term Tesla is going to need facilities basically in every major country you know if they really want to make 20 million cars per year in some capacity you know 20 million cars per year their energy their bot whatever else they decide to build you know yeah, they're, yeah. they're going to have to have a presence basically everywhere you know every other major you know think about every major automaker and every major energy company if you combine those two together they basically have a presence on every major country on, on planet earth so i would expect tesla to be to have something similar maybe not a gigafactory on every country but they'll have some sort of operation that's how i think about it so it could just be smaller scale you know yeah smaller scale maybe they'll buy some mining facility in canada or something at some point that's right yeah something like that uh real quick i want to highlight a comment from praveen uh he just highlighted i saw this on twitter as well reuters tesla chief executive elon musk will directly brief indian prime minister uh modi on plans to set up a manufacturing base there a source with direct knowledge said so this is from Reuters. Interesting development. The key thing there is a source with direct knowledge said. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So somebody, someone's uncle. <laughs> yeah, I would say is like fifty percent chance this is true. So that's still okay. meaningful, you know. But that's about what we thought. Yeah. Like maybe it increases the chances in our mind from like, all right, forty percent chance that something very significant happens with Modi to fifty percent chance. I don't know. I. I I do think it's signal in the right direction, but it's, it's not to, you know, take, take the Reuters or Wall Street, especially when the sources are unnamed. <laughs> I've learned yeah. for many years of politics, do not trust any unnamed sources, you know? So it's just, yeah. it's usually, it, it can often be some, some writer trying to just get clicks. You know, you just can't trust the media with unnamed sources. It's insane. So um, crazy. We'll it's rarely a confirmation if ever. Yeah. 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 Elon, That's I feel true. like he's going to, it'll come from his mouth you know, and then we can accept it as true. Agreed. Uh, thank you so much for the $5 super chat of uh, another, uh, another contribution to Emmett's IPA fund question. Would Tesla be in a strong position to make all automakers buy its 4680 batteries after they become dependent on Tesla supercharger? How do you think about this? Uh, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. That'd be something like Jordan from limiting factors. It's another thing I've learned over many years of, <laughs> of investing in Tesla is like, I know who to go to for the accounting question specialty for the battery chemistry question specialty or the manufacturing, you know, I know which niches of the Tesla expertise. Maybe I feel like the Tesla call option expertise niche or something, I guess. So that's what people come to me for. Cause I get all these random DNs. Like, what about these call options? What about these? Like, I guess that's my niche. I don't, you know, but but uh, th for this one, my my personal opinion, which is very generalized, and I don't, you know, I've I've listened to a lot of Jordan's uh, study and some others, uh, Monroe and Associates and so forth. Um, I think uh, the forty six eighties and Tesla Supercharger are separate. Uh, I think the forty six eighties could be that technology could certainly be licensed out to other manufacturers. I think Panasonic is already planning to do it too or something. So um, maybe CATL is the other big one. That's the elephant in the room. Are they going to be doing 4680 production? Um, we'll see. And then there's LG and some others. So I, I think um, 4680 could become the standard for the entire EV industry. If Tesla ramps it up successfully, Tesla will have the first mover advantage by, you know, a couple of years probably, but you know, five years from now, it could become the standard for all, you know, EVs is my thought. What do you think, Farzad? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm sort of on that same thought process. I think it's highly dependent on Tesla's ability to ramp 4680 to a certain volume that can facilitate outsourcing and mm-hmm. the, the cost, there needs to be a cost advantage as well. So it has to be both, I think for it to be a no brainer, uh, 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 thing that other automakers would jump on just like the chest supercharger and sort of be part of that equation it has they have to build a ton of them and they have to make it incredibly obvious for competitors to jump on their supply chain and purchase their format from a cost perspective you know so it has to make sense but if if tesla's long-term you know self-proclaimed goal of being the leader in manufacturing period it becomes true then one would think that something like this becomes a no-brainer for other companies to jump on right because if you're going to have the best battery at the best cost and you're going to make the most of them and they're the most reliable why wouldn't everyone buy them that's how i think about that equation so um okay let's do a couple more here let me bring up a question from my really good friend richard slash bob slash not legal advice Question, do you think Tesla will take advantage of today's directive to Ford and GM to localize supply chain for battery production? Now, I'll go ahead and, and share this real quick because I actually just caught wind of it myself. This was an article from about four hours ago. Lawmakers suppress GM Ford CEOs over China supply chains. So do you think that this development is going to, um, you know, going to benefit Tesla in any way uh, because of this development? How are you thinking about that? What the hell is this? Okay, there we go. Yeah, I mean, um, I like yeah. uh, not legal advice uh, on your channel. He has good perspectives a lot of times. I don't agree with everything he says, but I, sometimes he brings up points. So I'm like, yeah, no one else is saying that. That makes sense, you know. So I don't agree uh, with anything he says. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but but for this one, um, I think Tesla has the advantage. They're producing their own. They're sourcing and producing their own uh, batteries. Vertical integration wins, you know. And I think uh, the others, Ford and GM. They're going to get penalized for not vertically integrating like Tesla does, you know? So yeah, it's going to put them at a little bit of a disadvantage compared to Tesla. Tesla's leading the way and building out batteries. Maybe, maybe they try to do the, that, um, their terms too, but I feel like, isn't CATL trying to build a battery factory? Panasonic's already building one in like Kansas, I think, but there's also a CATL is, was in talks to build like a battery plant in Texas or somewhere. I can't remember, but I, I would see some of these Chinese suppliers, coming to the u.s more likely to set up shop here in the u.s and build factories to build the batteries and supplies for ford and gm that's what i think is the most likely outcome here what do you think mm, far as nice that? yeah I, I think i'm right there with you i think that makes a lot of sense especially if they have the right incentive structure for the guys to come over i think i think the ira bill is actually quite you know I, i'm not a fan of everything the you know i'm actually not a fan of a lot of things that this administration is doing but i think if there's one thing that they nailed was creating an incentive for manufacturing to come back to the states and i think that's a big deal that's a huge deal and um the more we can have with that the better so huge props to the biden admin for getting that through the ira is a big deal it's a huge deal for america's long term yeah bringing some manufacturing back of the you know evs and uh this whole new energy paradigm shift to let us cut sort of be in charge of its own destiny with it so i think it's for sure huge 100%. 100%. Let me do uh, two more, Emmett, if that's okay with you. Sure. Two more questions. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's uh, bring in Tommy here, longtime supporter of the, of the channel. Thank you so much, Tommy. Question, when, if ever, do you think we'll reach a cliff for financing insurance on ICE cars, on gas cars? In my opinion, it would be better to lend borrow money for buying crack or something. Uh, how do you think <laughs> about that? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, Tommy, because 
whenever I'm driving up the highway, you ever drive up on the highway and you see all these freaking like you're in like car dealership city all of a sudden and there's like all these car dealers and loads of cars on lots all along. And I'm like, yeah, when are they going to sell all these ICE cars? I'm thinking like, who's going to buy? Like, there's going to be a day where there's all these ICE cars, ICE cars are being built up on the sidelines and they can't sell them. And and at that point, that cliff is going to happen and no one's gonna, it's going to be a disaster. So I think a lot of the yeah. dealerships could be in big, you know, the dealerships have, there's, it's a fascinating business model they have and, regulatory capture and lobbying and all this stuff. But at some point, uh, you know, the cards are going to come crashing down on them. It's, it's a house of cards. I feel like, and I feel like the dealership model is in big trouble, you know, unless they can pivot quickly to, to EVs sooner or later. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think it's coming. This cliff is coming, whether it's two years from now or five years from now, I'm not sure, but it's coming. What do you think Farzad? I'm right there with you, man. I, I, I can't help but think, you know, the so we live in a, in a part of the Austin metro area that's developing very quickly. And yeah. the one thing I've, I've noticed is that there is people throwing up new car dealerships. And I'm like, um, boy, is that a terrible investment? Yeah. <laughs> like that goes, That's what goes through my mind. I'm like, yeah. are you sure you want to do that? Like, I always you, think, how can like I short these car dealerships? Yeah. I'm always thinking that. But anyway, go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, for sure. And, and it's like my wife and I will, will um, like, actually, uh, Cindy brought this up. Producer wife brought this up. We were driving around. And there was like, you know, new Mazda dealer coming in 2024. And she's like, why the hell are they doing that? And I was like, what? Are they, what? It's like, why are they building a Mazda dealership here? I'm like, wow. Even like, you know, and, you know, she's not like a psycho like you and I are like, like thinking about this stuff constantly, you know, freaking obsessed with this stuff. But she's just casually like, yeah, why? They do this doesn't seem smart. If they're, we're going to go electric, why are they building a, a dealership here? I'm like, you're 100% right. I think yeah. the, the thing I'm most concerned with is that the the transition away from gas car is not going to be gradual. I, I'm, I, I my gut's telling me that it's going to be sudden and it's going to cause so much um havoc and craziness in the market that every it's going to be like a analogous to 2008 when we had the financial crisis where everything seemed okay and then overnight it felt like everything just came down and, and we're like what yeah. the hell just happened like you a, know i think it'll be a miniature version of that because it's not homes it's yes. gonna be cars yeah but it's gonna be Correct. like a miniature version of that maybe yeah and there's gonna have to be some like bailout proper programs for car dealerships probably yeah like you know at some point you know people people are not stupid they're gonna have to you know they're gonna look at a gas car and they're gonna say again my hypothesis they're gonna look at a gas car and say why would i ever buy or lease or rent something that is not going to be worth anything in like a two three years time because yeah. you know a the government's not incentivizing it and then b uh i can buy an alternative that runs way cheaper and it's uh it's now i can buy it kind of you know i might have to get on a waiting list but why buy a new car when i can just wait maybe a couple of years and get my ev and just yeah. run my used car to the ground i think i think repair shops uh are like uh third-party repair shops are going to make a killing for the next 10 to 20 years as they keep these gas cars on the road but a new mm -hmm. gas car to me like talk about you know i don't give advice to barely anyone about investing their money but yeah. me personally i you wouldn't you couldn't pay me enough money to start a new car dealership today impossible yeah. i wouldn't yeah. do it under any circumstance yeah. so anyway long answer to your to your question but all right let's go ahead and uh 
do uh, do this one. I'll, I'll, I'm going to squeeze two more in, Emin. I hope okay, that's sure. okay. I've just got a super chat in. Just make I'll sure read we this get one these. and give you a break so you can line up the other one. From Bruno it's Smith. Okay. Go for it. Others making steps to adopt Tesla tech. Is there a risk that every car will de facto be Tesla? And will this create a monopoly? Um, so I'll take a first step here. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't think there's a risk that every car will be a de facto Tesla. I think there will be a risk that every car will have like, you know, be powered by Tesla. You know, it'll be like powered by this, you know, like I can't think of the analogy. There's another thing that says powered by, but, but I think a lot of EVs could be powered by Tesla, whether it's the uh, full self-driving powered by Tesla FSD or something like that. Um, I think that could be a, a somewhat of a monopoly for Tesla. I think they'll just take like a, a small slight, just like Apple has their, you know, fee of 30%, which is ridiculous. Tesla might do like a 10% fee or something, something they think is more reasonable across the board for all FSD technology, their licensing out. So I think that's likely a likely scenario, higher than 50% chance in my mind. Um, so in terms of the batteries and, and stuff, I think you'll have lots of Chinese suppliers still uh, in the mix, CATL, is a behemoth, you know, I don't think people realize how big they are, um, but they're going to continue to be a behemoth and Tesla will have its own batteries. They'll also buy some from CTL, but I'm not sure Tesla's battery technology will power all EVs, but I think their FSD technology has a very high chance of being licensed, you know, outside of China and China. I think you'll have some other um, tech companies uh, creating their own FSD technology, like, copy basically copying tesla but they just the government will allow it and so the inside chinese economy it won't be you know tesla licensing you know their their fsd to other but tesla will have its own tesla china fsd obviously i think that's my thought process but in the rest of the world the western world which respects copyright laws and ip laws and patent law and stuff i think you'll have uh a lot of um uh evs using tesla's fsd technology being licensed by tesla to tesla my yeah. Tesla. Yeah. I, I think along those lines, so like the power by Tesla moniker, I think makes a lot of sense. I think that Tesla supply chain will be leveraged by most people. I think that's for sure. In the same way that, you know, Apple has a supply chain and a lot of companies tap into their supply chain for like screens and batteries and things like that. Uh, I think Tesla is going to have something very similar and things like the 4680, uh, maybe the chips in some way, if Dojo becomes the uh, sort of preferred method of computing for a uh, real world AI type deal. Yeah. Who knows? It I, could I be think, just I like powered by Tesla AI. That might be the sign. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? It's, it's going to be powered fascinating. By which again, powered by Dojo, like you said. <laughs> exactly. Cool. It's And it's sort of like that name will, will just permeate everything. Like Tesla will be everywhere. You know, it's like, it's yeah. kind of crazy, but who knows? Who knows if that's the... And it'll be all kinds uh, of, not just, it, it'll it'll not just be the Tesla. I think it'll it'll go beyond that to the, not just the Tesla Optimus robots, but there'll be other robot companies using Tesla's, right, you sure. know, AI to power their robots to do things for people. You know, it won't be just like hum, human factor you know, humanoid robots that Tesla's making, but there could be other companies making tractors or other types of robotic stuff that is powered by Tesla AI. Whatever requires compute, basically, could theoretically utilize yeah. Tesla's technology. Yeah. All right. And then we'll do the last question. And I'm going to bring up a Tesla's ticker as well, because we're uh, reaching uh, uh, session highs here, Emmett, as we've been Woo! talking. So the lesson yeah. here is that you and I should talk every day because then the yeah. stock will just go up four and a half percent every time. Right. Oh, Obviously. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Last question from Corey. Question. When does Emmett anticipate the compact car reveal? This year or 2024? Much closer to Mexico launch? How are you thinking about that, my friend? Yeah, I think the compact uh, reveal, they have to be very careful not to cannibalize Model 3. So we have this kind of new uh, refurbished Model 3 about to come out, it sounds like. Um, so that should help generize, gen generate uh, some sustainable demand for Model 3, because that's been the weakest link for a while now is the Model 3. Um, so this new version Tesla, uh, which is probably being designed to also be self-driving, I would imagine, like primarily its function or something like a robo-taxi function maybe, but also optional to be used as a, you know, self-driver car, you know, but um, I, I would imagine they don't reveal that until 2025 when they're ready to like actually ship it, um, you know, from Mexico and, and Austin at the same time, wherever else they build it out of. So that's my thought is they're not going to actually reveal it until it's like very close. Um, I could be wrong. You know, maybe Elon decides to reveal it later this year because it's such a different car, such a different form factor than the Model 3. He's not worried about it cannibalizing. But if there's any chance for it to cannibalize, if it's any, you know, the Model 3 demand, I feel like they'll just hold off. What do you think? Uh, you got muted, Farzad. You got muted here. I'm oh, muted myself when I'm talking. Yeah. My God, hey, what do you, what do you, I'm such an expert at this. <laughs> I think I think the I think it, it's all very dependent on the type of vehicle they're going to release. I think the Highland sort of the refresh for for Model Three that's been rumored. I think that is going to create really good separation between the Y and the compact car. It's going to sort of carve mm. its own niche, is my estimation. It's going to be probably performance driven more than it is now. And it's going to give you something that the Y and the compact car just can't give you. I think if if that is correct, then I don't think the timing of the launch is going to be as important because the or, or like when, when they show the car, because it should be differentiated enough. But the, the thing that keeps coming back to my mind is this thing is going to be start around twenty five to thirty thousand dollars, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be supremely affordable compared to the rest of Tesla's lineup, and the type. And this is going to come on the heels of all the players. I, I would estimate will go NACS. The Cybertruck being in the wild, FSD getting solved and operating, like all these things should be uh, part of the world. Call it when this thing is potentially announced. And so how could how would that not generate millions upon millions of reservations, right? And so that's that's the thing that Tesla has to balance is if they when they release this car, it's gonna garner so much attention that they're gonna have a very long wait time. And is that going to dictate how and when they release the product? They could do like an Apple thing for the first time ever, where they're like, hey. Our compact car it starts at twenty five thousand. Order yours; you'll get yours in a month and a half. Mm -hmm. You know, but I highly doubt that's the case because yeah. manufacturing cars is very difficult. You got to get the manufacturing line set up, and they got to order the Idra press supply or chain. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And then as soon as you start doing that preparation, and you're talking to all the suppliers and everything, you know, there's going to be a leak somewhere. So what I think yeah. is going to happen for the first time in Tesla's history, this is my prediction, is that we're going to know about the robot about the compact car before Tesla announces the compact car, because mm. they're going to have to tap the supply chain, they're going to have to get all that stuff ready before they announce it. And there will be yeah. leaks. 
So you know how yeah. like now with the iPhone, everybody knows what it looks like before it gets announced because they're just yeah. they have to ramp up the supply chain. I think yeah. that's what's going to happen with a compact car. Yeah. Okay, it's very possible it could play out that way. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, man. Thank you so much, Emmett. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We didn't have producer wife, but boy, did we make it into a, an awesome mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah. Uh, any parting words for the for the listeners, for the viewers before we'll let you go, sir? Uh, no, I just would say um, stay, keep the eye on the prize. You know, the product you got to if you're a long term Tesla investor, you got to just really dig your heels in on the product experience. Um, so part of the fun of being a long term investor for me has always been you know, testing out the product as soon as possible. So I always get, I always try to get the, the earliest solar roof version or the power wall and earliest model S when it comes out refreshed or whatever. So that's like a lot of fun for me. It's like investor research, but I love new technology. So I get to try it out. But when I use that stuff, when I use the Tesla technology, do I feel that it's the best thing I've tried out there, you know, and it, it certainly has been. So I think for any investors, you know, it's easy to, you know, look past that right now when Tesla stocks on a, a tear like it has been the last month. But just remember that when Tesla goes down 50% plus again, which it will inevitably at some point, whether it's macro market or not, um, there will be a major drop of some some amount in Tesla again. It'll feel it'll feel very scary, you know, as a long-term investor. But when those times happen, you just got to really dig your heels and be like, did something change with the product? Is that why it's going down? Do I feel differently about the actual product? So uh, I think that would be the lesson I would like to get across. I think we talked about that earlier. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you. And as you were saying that Tesla hit 5% up for the day. So clearly, you know nice. what you're talking about. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and Bruno says, bring back, bring Emmett back often. He's a gem. Couldn't agree more. Emmett, oh, you're always welcome Bruno. back at any point. Yeah, man. Thank you. uh, you're truly a, a, an awesome resource. And I, I really want to thank you for all the self selfless work that you do uh, with your channel. Tell uh, people a little bit about Good Soil uh, before we let you go, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, so this fund I started, uh, Good Soil Invest is the Twitter handle. I don't really tweet from it very often, but um, the business model of the fund is basically um, half of the fees uh, the fund generates generates net of expenses goes to charity. And so I'm just trying to change the business model of the most well-off capitalist pigs there are, hedge fund managers, <laughs> you know. And so socialism is something I see creeping into the discussion more and more by the younger generation that's worried me. So I'm like, well, what can I do? What part can I play? Maybe I can help change that perspective by making the seemingly most capitalistic people, hedge fund managers, seem, you know, not as selfish, selfish and a little more helping society out. So maybe my fund hedge fund business model, if, if it's successful, maybe it catches on and others start doing it. And then people say, Oh, look, hedge fund managers, they can actually give a lot of money to charity. They can help society too. They're not just, you know, greedy owning billionaire yachts or whatever, you know? So I just feel like, um, that's the mission I'm on. I keep more than making money for my fund is to actually succeed to, try to just be a small part in that um, movement to evolve capitalism so that you don't have someone like AOC or Bernie Sanders come in and, and change capitalism to socialism. And that, I think that would be the downfall. So I think you just need to evolve it since we're entering this, especially when we're entering this age of abundance, as Elon calls it, um, there's going to be a lot of uh, cracks that need to be hold up. And uh, I think charity is going to have to play a major role in that um, because you can't count on government to change quickly.
Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for all the work you do uh, on behalf of, uh, of of the listeners and everybody who follows you. Uh, yeah, thank man. You. And thank you again for making the time. Greatly enjoyed our conversation. Like I said, back anytime if you'd like. Just I'd love to have you discuss whatever you'd like. And uh, yeah, thank you to everybody in the comments. Thank you for everybody, to everybody listening. Thank you to all the mods doing great work. Thank you to producer wife, even though she's not here today. I'll do her usual little clappy thing. She likes to give herself a little round of applause. So we'll do that. Too. <laughs> and then uh, we're going to play a little outro and then we'll be back in the backstage Emmett here after a few seconds uh, okay. and until the next time everybody we'll see you later thank you so much for watching bye bye